Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harris and Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door and let's chat about art, architecture, history, real estate, and more. Let's jump in. We all seek to slip away from the responsibilities and realities of day-to-day life, particularly when they threaten to overwhelm us. Sometimes our escape comes in the form of a quick pint at the pub at the end of the day, or more dramatically, sometimes in a week-long getaway to some remote, far-flung place. In moderation, our escapist tendencies can be viewed as harmless attempts at coping with stress, but if we step out of reality to avoid conflict, confrontation, or trauma in our lives, we can compound problems and complicate our stress even further. So how best to temporarily dodge difficulties without causing harm to ourselves or our loved ones? Explore this issue with holistic space maker, designer Joni Atkinson of Spirit House Interiors, as we chat about how we can create a refuge of respite where we can find well-being and bring our lives into better alignment. Take flight with us as we break down the very human impulse to escape. When you think of escaping reality, do you think of flying south to lose yourself on a white sandy beach? Or do you think of zoning out on the couch for hours, transfixed by the latest streaming series? We can all get behind that trip to the south, leaving all our troubles behind, but we are less accepting of vegging out in front of our TV. Yeah, it's so true. That's interesting, isn't it? The beach holiday is perfectly acceptable escapism. But the immersion into a screened fantasy isn't really that smiled upon, even if we all do it from time to time. And they're both forms of escapism. One way of defining escapism is action taken when people feel the need to avoid unpleasant feelings, including fear and pain. Mm -hmm. These feelings could be connected with past experiences, for instance, loss and failure, or even disappointments, and can take many forms like distraction, procrastination, and even addiction. Psychologists say it's a defense mechanism, a form of protecting ourselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Unpleasant feelings are very uncomfortable. Who wouldn't want a distraction from them? Right. And to some degree, escapism is normal and healthy. We can't wallow in the tough and terrible for too long, though, can we? Right. The problem seems to be the extent to which we lean into escapism and to what lengths we will go to avoid whatever is driving us away in the first place. Yeah. We've all heard that saying, ignorance is bliss. We have. Yes, and it can be bliss, but the issue with ignorance is that the problem is still there. Whether you're looking at it or not, it hasn't been fixed. Right. Psychologists say escapism offers us a temporal sense of relief from not having to face what we are trying to avoid. Temporal as in temporary. Exactly. Right. It's tough to do things we don't want to do. We tend to try and take that path of least resistance, right? It's the easier way out. I know that it's my first instinct. Why take the hard way if you don't have to? Right. But we often realize that the easy way isn't the right way to address a problem. Yeah, I feel like we often do this when we're in conflict with another person. It can be easier not to address the problem or have that uncomfortable conversation But more often than not, the problem becomes much more of an issue if you just don't rip off that Band-Aid and have that difficult, squirmy talk. I remember in my first year of my undergrad, I had a lot going on in my personal life. 
And unfortunately, I let things slide in a couple of my courses. And I was really, truly in danger of failing a couple of them. And I avoided talking to my profs about it until it really hit a crisis point. So I finally forced myself into the dean's office and through a conversation, just one, sorted it all out. And it was a huge relief. But I could have avoided a lot of sleepless nights and a tremendous amount of anxiety if I had just dealt with it sooner before things started to go sideways. Yes, I can also remember avoiding schoolwork that I found difficult and instead would focus on the assignments that were easier or more enjoyable. This strategy didn't always go well for me. Yeah, no, I remember employing some similar (laughs) strategies. So escapism can really be sometimes defined as avoidance. Perhaps there's more to that last minute vacation than maybe some of us initially might think. Probably it's one of the healthiest forms of escape though, right? There are a lot of more nefarious avoidance tactics out there. Absolutely. Numbing out with substances is probably the most concerning, whether it's a daily nip of scotch or the full-blown opiate addiction. Uh, These are the most concerning escapist strategies. Mm -hmm. Smoking, alcohol, and drugs all have their potential to be addictive by their nature. And if you're using these substances to turn the other cheek to your problems, there is the potential for real trouble. Yeah. Booze, drugs, and smoking have even been referred to as false relief. Hmm. Most drugs, whether they are legal or illegal, can temporarily soothe anxiety and force one to forget their immediate reality, and alcohol is deemed more socially acceptable, but still has the same effect, I think. And even though smoking doesn't alter your behavior, it seems like a pretty escapist behavior to me, but, you know, I will leave the subtleties of that argument to the experts. I can personally attest to the fact that smoking uh, can be a means of escape, having been a smoker. When it was more acceptable in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s, smokers would band together, they probably still do, for a smoke break. And everybody would disappear to the smoking room. Yes, that was a real thing. Or outdoors to chat and pollute their lungs and just get away from whatever work or commitments that were pressing at that moment. Every time I tried to quit smoking, the thing that confused and frightened me the most was just how I would achieve that same sense of escape without having that smoke break. Mm. Yeah. So I think any kind of addiction or behavior that takes you outside of the humdrum reality of life could be a form of escapism, like sex and gambling addictions too. But what if your chosen method of escapism doesn't really interfere with your life? What if it's just more of a way to cope? I guess the problem is that whatever is encouraging you to escape doesn't ever really get addressed though, does it? That's right. It becomes kind of a loop. When we distract ourselves or avoid an uncomfortable issue, we typically are forced to circle back to it. We might then escape again to then be compelled again to confront the source of our discomfort and so on and so on. Like that old commercial. Was it for shampoo? Which one? And so on and so on, (laughs) right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I felt this many times. I think travel is my preferred form of escapism. Though I often work when I'm on holiday, there is so much of the irritating tedium that we can just leave behind and forget, like those bills that are waiting to be paid, the chat with the school counselor you've been putting off, whatever it is. But when you get home, as soon as those wheels touch down on the tarmac, all of those issues come rushing up 
to oh. welcome you back. Those bills are still there. <laughs> <laughs> True. Though often a vacation can clear your head as well, though. It has allowed me personally the opportunity to put some space between myself and issues I need to figure out, I find. Mm-hmm. And I end up coming back with a clear way forward, really, and a readiness to tackle the problem. So perhaps escapism can be perceived as being positive too sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation to gain some perspective on it. There might be other value to escaping our reality too, don't you think, Walker? As long as we ultimately don't neglect those issues that are pestering us and block them out. It has been noted by Mary Klopper, a UK psychologist, that challenges associated with our 24-7 lifestyle result in stress, which we all know can contribute to ill health, whether mental or physical. Escaping the stresses of our reality could be viewed as a coping mechanism. We are so excited to introduce our guest, Joni Atkinson, holistic space maker, designer of sacred spaces, and owner of Spirit House Interiors in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome, Joni. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Okay, so Joni, you are a self-described creator of holistic spaces for enchanted living. Can you describe for our listeners what that means? Absolutely. So our homes are really one of the only places on the planet where we have almost absolute control over our environments, right? So this makes them this sort of uh, amazingly potent places to create a space that can encourage certain mindsets, certain actions, certain lifestyles, and even states of being. So I look at the home as this sort of container for um, actually for self-growth. And when I think of enchanted living, This is sort of a daily life that is infused with beauty and meaning and stories and dreams and even a little bit of wonder and expansiveness. So when I work with clients, this really looks different for everyone, right? Uh, Part of my process is helping people to put into words what sensory elements may may it be images or sounds, colors, scents, textures, delight them on a really deep level. And then we explore how to bring these into their experience of home. Well, that's really interesting, actually. I'm I'm personally a huge collector. Mm -hmm. So um, I always find it interesting going into people's homes and, you know, seeing what everything says about them, what's on their walls, what's on their bookshelves, as opposed to, you know, is it just picture perfect in a magazine? That's one of my favorite things is to go into someone's home and kind of see the story of who they are, who they were, who they're becoming, um, and and have the home really be this this space for for play and this intermingling of both the past and perhaps the future. Right. So loosely quoting you, you said just a pretty space is not necessarily one that supports contentment, rejuvenation, and alignment. So what elements do you suggest to people to include in their homes to create a refuge from the stresses of daily life? And life can be very stressful. Mm. So we all know it, right? Uh, I love this question. It is something I could probably talk about for a really long time because there's so many different things that you can do. But just um, to name a few, the first is sort of a mindset to adopt when we're thinking about decorating or cultivating our spaces. And that is one that's this idea of decorating and cultivating your space from within. 
So, so often we kind of look outside of ourselves. We look to Instagram or, you know, our friend's house or what other people are doing. And instead, I encourage people to start by looking within, looking at their own stories, looking at the places they've lived throughout their lives, the places they've visited. And often we'll do something called a home audit where I'll actually have a client sit down and write out all the places they've lived and then actually take some notes on what about those places either lifted them up or sort of pulled them down because these are both good pieces of information, right? And then by looking back, you can start to see patterns and see, oh, I really loved these few homes because the light was amazing and that made me feel really good. Or, you know, it was my grandma's house, my grandma's house always felt so cozy and I felt really loved there. Or, you know, my house growing up, I didn't feel really loved. I didn't feel safe. And kind of going into these these different elements of a home and what made them feel really aligned or not. And then we can start to pull out these, these patterns, these reoccurring elements, and use that as a starting place. Um, so instead of just making, a, you know, a house look good objectively, <laughs> we want it to also feel good to be something that speaks to you on a personal level because like I said this is this is your space this is you and, and your family so sometimes there's a little negotiation that happens um, but this is one of the few places on earth that you have the ability to do that so it becomes a really fun creative process so that's the first thing I would say is you know decorate from within look within first and then a few other tips to create that sense of refuge Always, I recommend people to focus, it seems really simple, but focus on natural elements. Do you have light? Do you have airflow? Do you have some sort of uh, homage to greenery or nature that feels um, resonant for you? Because we connect with different types of nature, but maybe that's plants, maybe that's images of plants or, or landscapes. Um, you can play with that a little bit, but it's it's really fun because once you start to even look at the science, we see that rooms with plants in them, they support creative thinking, classrooms where kids have plants, they're nicer to each other. Um, so, so human beings are really, we've evolved and we're designed to be in these spaces that are really closely tied to, to the earth, to the land. And so often we kind of create our little four walls of our house and sort of cut off the world around us and the land around us. So bringing in natural elements, be it scents or sounds of a fountain, a little desk fountain to get that sound of water, whatever it is, these can be really simple, easy ways to encourage a greater sense of rejuvenation and relaxation and even some healthy escape. Wow, this is really brilliant. I'm actually learning a lot here. <laughs> it's it's going beyond, you know, my initial thought that your home should be more of a scrapbook of, you know, your history and, and who you are and where you've been. But it's that that self-analysis mm -hmm. that, that you're recommending here. I'm I'm super excited to get back to my house. <laughs> And, and, and really do a bit of an overhaul, but yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I know. I feel exactly the same way. And in fact, I might have to have you, Joni, come and visit <laughs> me here in Toronto and go through this, this home audit. Absolutely. <laughs> 
wouldn't that be fun? I think that would be a great time. But just bringing in those natural elements and going within, that really resonates with me. So we've been talking a little bit today about escaping from mm -hmm. from the difficulties and the problems of life that exist beyond our front doors. But we can do that in a very healthy and non-harmful way. And it sounds like you can really assist in, in doing so. Can you tell me a little bit about how decluttering and organizing our personal spaces might help us reorient to a more grounded self? Absolutely. I think that um, clutter is such a big contributing factor to a sense of anxiety or overwhelm or stress in our homes. So when our home is filled with clutter, it's actually on a subconscious level, raising our stress levels. And the interesting thing about clutter is, you know, there's different types of clutter and I won't go too much into that right now, but I liken it to the sense of visual noise in the space. So we're getting this stimuli through the space of all these objects. So just on a visual level, it's maybe a little chaotic, mm -hmm. but the nature of clutter is that so many of these objects are actually tied to decisions that we haven't made yet, um, memories that are maybe a little tender or emotional. Um, so, so these objects aren't just floating out there, they're tied to our emotions in a certain way. So this can make it kind of exhausting even to look at. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, let's say I should wear this dress because I lost, spent a lot of money on it, right? So there's guilt there. Or I used to love this shirt, but it doesn't fit me anymore. Here we might have a little bit of shame even or grief around a period of time that, you know, is no longer, we're no longer living in that chapter of life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to even try to organize because I know my husband or wife or partner or housemate will just mess it up. And there's frustration and anger there, right? So again, we're having all these subconscious messages bombarded at us by clutter. Um, so it becomes this really powerful process to go through your clutter and to clear it out because it's nine out of 10 times, not as simple as just throwing trash away. You have mm -hmm. to make these decisions and kind of come up against these emotions a lot of the time. But once you're able to clear it out, that's when you can create that sense of space, that sense of ease and that sense of quiet stillness it doesn't mean you have to become a minimalist I'm not saying that <laughs> but there's a sense of space in the home which is really what encourages that ability to decompress to relax to exhale when you step mm -hmm. in the door at the end of the day right yeah a sense of calm mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. so that you can sort of quiet and still all of mm -hmm. that external noise that does seep into your own home in the form of clutter. That's yeah. really, that's very insightful. And I mean, if you think about where we go to escape, hotels or nice Airbnbs or even the, the spa or perhaps even like a house of worship, like these spaces are clear of all of that. We go to a hotel and, and we're like, oh, there's no, there's no extra. 
Um, it's just just the essentials. And that can be really, really nourishing as a break from what we typically have in our homes. So it can be um, a really nice thing to try to endeavor to have a little bit of that hotel-like experience, maybe a little bit of that spa-like experience in your house mm -hmm. um, without going to the point of it being anonymous. Right. When I think about my home, even if I just think about my bedroom, I'm definitely on the end of the spectrum of too much. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of visual noise yeah. going on there. So I've got some work to do. Joanna. Yeah. And you know, one, one last thing I'll say there that I encourage people to do, even if it's not clutter necessarily, um, which is stuff that we typically think of as things we're not using or no longer love, but even our decor or the things on the walls can sometimes start to pile up over the years when you're in a space mm -hmm. for a long time. So there's this practice called quieting your space where you could actually take everything off the walls, take the doodads off the shelves and just put them in a box, put them in the closet for a week or so and just kind of live with the space in this more bare bones mode for a little while and then go back to your boxes and start to put up only the things that still really resonate with you. Only the things that you're like, you feel right now still align with who you are. Because it's very natural for us to go through different phases of life that reflect differently in our spaces. So something that maybe you loved five years ago that's still on your wall just because it was there is no longer actually speaking to you. So this gives you a chance to sort of update and realign your space with who you are in the same way sometimes we update our wardrobes. Yeah, and in a in a softer, more casual approach, you know, you, mm -hmm. it, you don't have to commit and just remove everything, blank slate, but just put it aside and then exactly. bring it back out and then carefully select what what you want. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase, quieting the space. Mm -hmm. I love that. So on a personal note, I have to ask this question, Joni. I, when I was reading your biography, I think it was on your website, you mentioned that you were a belly dancer and a performer mm -hmm. for a decade before entering the world of design. So was dance a form of escape for you? And what kind of solace did it bring to your life? Mm. Dance was definitely a form of escape and at the same time kind of this intimate coming home I think that's the best sort of escape right um so when I found belly dance I was pretty young I was 14 oh. um and so I stepped into this world uh, where I was completely enamored with the movement and the music and the culture and going to class every Monday night with this diverse group of women of all ages we had 11 year olds up to 80 year olds and it was so unlike any other space I'd ever experienced before where you had this sort of intergenerational female space where we were moving and expressing ourselves and so it was this very magical escape for me absolutely as time went on when I started to perform professionally and then was teaching for four days a week uh, and working admin in the studio, and then became the artistic director of the studio, it lost a little bit of its escapism because it became my whole life, right? Yeah. So I don't actually belly dance much anymore. 
it may be something that I circle back to in time, but I've found another dance style that has kind of stepped in. And now that's a little bit more in alignment with what I need these days. Um, and it's a partner dance, which is a totally different type of escapism because you get to escape into sort of a more social connected place. Ballet dance is, you know, the performance itself is very much a solo performance. Um, so like everything, it sort of ebbs and flows. But but I think for me, dance has always been that sort of beautiful escape to another part of me and kind of gives me permission also to uh, express different parts of myself as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a journey. And these things do come into our lives and then move out from our lives and perhaps return again when we need them. You know? Exactly. And 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 often, I think many people who are engaged in the arts, if it becomes your full-time career, it can lose a little bit of that, that soul-filling mm -hmm. um, aspect. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have found another avenue mm -hmm. where you can express yourself through dance. I would love to engage in a, a partner dance format, however my partner. I don't think that's his forte. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been enlightening. It has been a lovely conversation. It has given me new reinvigorated wish to look at my own home. And I know our listeners are going to be very excited and, and they will probably reach out to you. You've painted us a very hopeful mm. and beautiful picture of how our homes can be transformed into a sanctuary a refuge that we can escape to. If you are in need of some expert holistic interior design help, you may find Joni via her website at www.spirithouseinteriors.com or on her Instagram feed at at spirithouseinteriors. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Joni. You're welcome. Thank you. I found it interesting that we don't always seek to escape stress. Psychologist Mary Klopper also notes that we can seek to escape boredom too. I can think of one pretty addictive strategy most of us use to avoid boredom. Right. The other day, I actually ended up in a huge checkout line. I was doing some holiday shopping and I realized I had forgotten my phone. Mm -hmm. So my immediate desire to escape the boredom of standing in that queue was super intense but my disappointment to find that I didn't have my distraction, my phone on me, was even more so. Even regular activities like work, sleep, and eating can all be put into play to avoid, distract, or run away from our stresses. We've all met the workaholic, right? Perhaps they're avoiding family conflict at home. I know that I've personally tried to drown my sorrows in a pint of coffee-flavored Haagen-Dazs ice cream more than once or twice. Or what about that teenager who's sleeping all the time? Maybe they're avoiding the social and academic stresses they're experiencing in those fraught years. But sleep also has that potential to transport you to a dream fantasy world. Yeah, right. Speaking of fantasy world, what about gaming? Absolutely. Gaming is a form of entertainment, but it is clearly also a form of escapism and it can be an addictive one. You can be someone else entirely. You create these avatars from scratch 
And it's a you that doesn't have the issues and dilemmas that your own reality does. And you can even form a community with like-minded escapists online. Role-playing in all forms must be really a form of escapism, I imagine, on or offline. You know, it brings to mind Renaissance fairs and that sort of thing. Comic-Con. Yes. I've never gone. Oh, I'm have shocked. You? <laughs> no, I have never gone. I don't really think it's our thing. Though, I would like to admit to you, Walker, that I did just go to the Bridgerton experience with a few of my girlfriends. Ah. I know you're jealous. I can hear it in your voice. We had the gowns, the crazy hair, the makeup. Though, I don't think any of us were fully immersed in the immersive experience. But I did see people there who were super serious about it. They were curtsying and flirting and dancing and acting just like they were living that weird, messed up, not historically accurate life. They were definitely engaging in escapist behavior. But really, what's wrong with that? Right, just slipping into the skin of someone else for a night. Kind of like Halloween. Yeah, like Halloween, exactly. I suppose we could also say that books and movies are traditional forms of escapism. And these are great coping mechanisms no during the depression people would go to the movies particularly funny ones those screwball comedies a little laughter and distraction can go a very long way and of course reading always praised as an activity it's viewed as educational or a way of expanding our knowledge but it too can be an addiction referred to as bibliophilia have you ever mm. heard of that, Walker? I haven't, but I've known people who probably could have been categorized as, you know, having that issue. Yes, me as well. People can use books as a barrier between themselves and the real world, reading excessively with really no even care for enjoyment or the content that they're reading, much to the exclusion of everything else in the world. Yeah, I wonder if other hobbies like gardening or golf can be problematic forms of escape as well. It's possible, I mm -hmm. suppose, you know, all those long hours on the golf course. Yeah, 100%. So. I also know a few people who are probably <laughs> on the golf course avoiding the, the humdrum realities of life. You know, as you mentioned, though, one of the most commonplace and insidious forms of escapism and often addiction is the mobile phone. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it is the topic of many family dinner discussions in many homes. Yeah, it's not uncommon to be out for lunch and at every table around you, even at your own table, people are always scrolling on their phones instead of talking to the people they're with. Psychologists and relationship experts often identify the phone as a contributing factor in many relationship problems. Not really a surprise. People use them as an excuse not to engage with the real people in their lives and this also makes me think as well of online relationships that some people develop when they're unhappy or unsuccessful in their own real life relationships. Yes, I think online relationships can seem exciting and intriguing at the beginning. You know, the grass is always greener. This form of escapism, though, not only jeopardizes your relationships, perhaps with your spouse or partner, but it can be physically dangerous as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that person online can be just about anybody. Yeah, They could be trying on a different skin for size, just like the gaming avatars. And who really knows who's underneath there? You know, they may not be so nice. Yeah, that's so true. And it's really scary. It's particularly dangerous for our kids and teens, right? Yeah. 
On a more happy note, though, particularly on the heels of our most recent episode, Mary Cloppers does note that both meditation and mindfulness are very healthy forms of escapism. She also includes music, art, dancing, exercising, and I was very happy to hear travel Mm -hmm. as all positive forms of escapism. Indulgence in the outdoors and exercise, too, in moderation, are very healthy ways to cope with chronic or acute stress. Activities like walking your dog, practicing yoga or stretching, or going for a little forest bath, as the Japanese like to do, these are all very healthy go-to escapes. When the great outdoors and travel is out of reach, though, it's good to know that there are really other things that you can do to quiet the stress and anxiety. So why not engage in a little armchair traveling? Mm. So put on your coconut-scented hand cream, put on a little Bob Marley, and maybe flip through some travel magazines, the National Geographic perhaps, or even a good Ellen Hildebrand book. The Queen of Beach Reads. It sounds like you speak from experience there, Walker. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Armchair traveling is awesome. You can find some of the thrill of travel so easily without ever leaving your home these days. It can be really beneficial, not just for those who want to escape the realities of life, but also for those who have health limitations that don't allow them to travel. I actually found a website in my research that discusses armchair travel sessions seniors with dementia benefit from an immersive sensory experience created using a combination of location specific travel videos music food and decor pretty cool eh yeah i can absolutely understand how that might be really engaging and good for the soul Mm -hmm. um you know it's even evident on social media though like just consider how many gorgeous instagram feeds which feature Stunning footage of foreign destinations and perfectly edited sunsets. You could just scroll through them forever. Yep, you can. And you can also armchair travel via books and movies too. Even music and podcasts, Mm -hmm. Walker. Mm -hmm. Or watching a cooking class on YouTube. You can really get a feel of a destination that way. When I travel, particularly if I have my mom along with us, my dad follows along from his own beloved armchair and he uses apps and websites like Google Earth to follow along and he even visits virtual museums online that we might be seeing. He has often said that he feels like he's accompanying us Mm -hmm. on our journey, which is really very cool and very inclusive. A 2010 study published by the journal Applied Research in Quality of Life found that for most, the enjoyment starts weeks, even months before the holiday begins. Planning a vacation boosts happiness levels, which I personally can attest to. It's the anticipation of travel that is a huge part of the enjoyment for me. That is so true. I get a lot of my travel planning ideas from TV shows. Television shows that encourage escapism are everywhere these days. For instance, Escape to the Country spotlights city people wanting to make the move to the English countryside. I love that show. And in fact, my eldest son is a diehard fan of Escape to the Country and watches it sometimes with the express intent to distract himself from his own anxiety. Hmm, interesting. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Have you have you ever seen Escape to the Chateau? I don't think so. Well, it chronicles the life of Lieutenant Colonel Dick Strawbridge and his partner Angel Adderi as they experience a new life in France after leaving their lives in England with the plan of renovating a 19th century chateau. I've watched this show and I absolutely love it. That sounds right up my alley. (laughs) I will be looking it up as soon as we are done taping. 
It sounds like a French under the Tuscan sun. So are you escaping a little while you're watching this show, Walker? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would love to live in France, even for a short while. I'm sure there's a chateau out there somewhere with my name on it. The moments when they discover all these really neat things buried in the walls or in the attic are some of my favorite bits of the show. Mm. You know, it's the whole archaeology thing again. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my family isn't on board for my little personal chateau fantasy. So it will have to remain just that for me. For but, now. For now. But when I think of the need to escape, I'm often reminded of the wonderful film Shirley Valentine, mm. where the bored middle-aged housewife, sick and tired of her humdrum life replete with cooking and cleaning for her grown family, makes a dramatic decision to escape to Greece to leave an adventure of a lifetime. I love that movie, too. It is a cult movie. I think, for middle-aged women. But I actually watched it when I was really young, and I still loved it then. Me too. I was super young when I first saw it, but it left a mark on me. Mm -hmm. Shirley goes on a pilgrimage of sorts in Greece, a journey of self-discovery. Her hope is to fulfill in her something that is missing, and she goes to change her life. And then there's Eat, Pray, Love, mm -hmm. that Julia Roberts movie that's based on the book by Elizabeth Gilbert, who I adore, where an unhappily married woman travels around the world post-divorce with the intent of finding herself. I love that film. Yeah, and the book was amazing too. So, what does that say about us, Harris? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we need to go on our own little journey of self-discovery. I'm not so sure. The characters in these movies, though, remind me of those people who are searching for meaning. You know, like those people who make the decision to live in a monastery far from the lives that they've been living. And some of these people even seek out silent retreats, like not speaking for weeks on end. Yeah, I can tell you one thing. I would not do well with that. I don't think I would either. I don't think podcast hosts are known to be on the quiet side. What do you think? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I read an article in The Guardian by a woman who... I did just that. After being heartbreaking over a cheating boyfriend, her life had fallen apart, and so she turned to Throssel Hole at Zen Buddhist Abbey in the Northumbrian Moors. Mm. She said, I knew I needed to get my priorities straight. I'd stop feeling suicidal, if nothing else. Wow. It takes guts to make a big change like that, Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. Now, she lived there for 11 months. She described herself going in as cynical and exhausted. And she emerged recognizing, you know, how full of love and humor everyone is and that there's beauty in the most mundane places and claims that she had really woken up to a different world. Wow, it sounds like her life was completely transformed. Mm -hmm. It's a, a lovely escape story. And I don't think it's really that much of an uncommon one. More people are taking the same route to healing than we might think, probably for different reasons, of course. Right. So what about those people that take off on a sea voyage, escaping from their everyday lives in search of adventure? Yeah, I think they might be trying to really shake it up and escape the monotony of daily life. Yeah, I recently read a novel called Sea Wife by Amity Gage. In it, a young family leaves suburbia for a year-long sailing trip that turns their lives upside down. There were many negative aspects of this journey that right. they, that they uh, discuss. It actually was a pretty stressful experience. Mm. So sailing for an extended distance with your young family with little to no boating experience seems to me to be 
someone seeking more than an adventure. An adventure that can be very dangerous, I imagine. Yeah. They must be, to a certain degree, seeking a new challenge, wouldn't you think? Yeah, like adrenaline junkies or super risk takers or something. My husband talks about this all the time. And we may even try it one day, but we would have to really seriously beef up our pretty much non-existent sailing skills. And of course, our kids aren't grown, so it would just be the two of us. You know, it's interesting you're talking about it because I, I've read that it can often be a very spontaneous decision as well. I was reading recently that one couple who discussed how the decision came about to sail around the world, they simply said it started with a kitchen table conversation to lead normal life and live on a boat. Wow. Yeah, or take, for example, the case of Australian couple Erin Carey and her husband Dave. They decided to sail across the Atlantic Ocean with their three young children, and she said... One night, we just sat down to watch Netflix, and my husband randomly chose Maiden Trip about Laura Decker, the youngest person to sail around the world, and something in that documentary made us completely change our lives. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I actually have a documentary that changed my life. Have you ever seen My Octopus Teacher? No, but I really wanted to. It is so remarkable. I know I'm a little off topic right now, but it is a must watch. Okay. A must watch. And maybe in another episode, I'll tell you how it changed my life. Wow. It's on my holiday list to watch now. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Okay. So did Erin Carey and her husband have any sailing experience? From what I understand, they were novice sailors. Now, I do have a similar story. Friends of my parents did just that. They packed up their three children in the 1970s, not having any prior sailing experience, and sailed from Montreal to Argentina. They had an adventure of a lifetime, and having new experiences and learning new languages, it really changed their lives. I can imagine. It sounds amazing. On a smaller scale, though, it makes me think of all those people who escaped life in the city during the pandemic and moved to the countryside. Yeah, they certainly did. There were a lot of people that did that. Mm -hmm. And we've heard a lot of stories from our clients and friends, though, that some loved that change and some it wasn't what it was what they thought it would be and they're already looking to return. Laura Den Hertog, an artist who lives in Canada's Ottawa Valley, loved her move to the country. She described it as running towards a new life. Mm. She now has a blog entitled The Enchanted Journal, which describes what she refers to as escaping suburbia and moving to paradise and finding home. So even though we may initially think of escapism as negative for some people, it is an escape route towards a better life. Yeah, we all do find our own paths to, to that better yeah. life or to what we call home, or at least we search for them. But what if you don't want a permanent home and you're so bitten by the travel bug that you are just constantly traveling? I'm just asking for a friend though, Walker. Yeah, of course you are. Um, <laughs> I've seen these types of people referred to as nomadic travelers. And I came across one woman who started a travel industry consulting company and claims to have been on the road 50 weeks of the year. She's racked up more than 7 million air miles. Holy moly. That makes me look like a novice traveler. <laughs> but that would certainly soothe the travel bug, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. In her words, she said, I get bored if I'm home for longer than a few days. Travel gives me new experiences every day, a new client, a new city, and a new outlook. Now, I also learned of another woman who left her corporate lawyer job in 2008 for a nomadic life renting apartments in Asia in the winter, and she spent her summers visiting friends and attending conferences, and in her words, she said that this lifestyle allowed her to 
focus on intangible value in life. It's tested my natural tendency to focus on the small stuff and let go of controlling every aspect of my life. Doing what I do has made me a person I like more. Oh, I love that. I think I could learn a thing or two from these women. Yeah, she went on to challenge the conventional belief that the driving force behind escapism is always something negative. Yeah, I think she's right, Walker. We aren't always running from, are we? Perhaps we are running towards. There is a well-known quote by Abraham Lincoln, you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. Many of us do not heed these wise words and seek to postpone or avoid the uncomfortable altogether by escaping our reality, whether it is through a pastime, hobby, or in the most worrisome way, through addiction. Escape can be healthy, however, and can help us to cope and find comfort in times of stress, as well as give us an ability to gain a little perspective on whatever issue is plaguing us. We can even create that escape within our own homes. So let's endeavor to break free of the overwhelm and liberate ourselves with the newfound understanding of our impulse to escape. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. Follow us each week as we continue the conversation.